welcome back to our show. We have our guest here, Rebecca Inhosa. She is a member of Another Gulf is Possible Collaborative, which is based out of New Orleans, whose members primarily reside along the U.S. Gulf Coast. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yes. Uh, I have been reading about Joe Biden's uh, executive orders. And one of these executive orders is that he intends to reverse the uh, project called the Keystone Pipeline XL. And I, when I was reading about it, uh, I was not aware of the, uh, how crude this particular oil is that's coming out of the Canadian boreal forest. So can you tell us a little bit more uh, about the oil that is coming out of this pipeline? Sure. Um, so the Keystone XL pipeline uh, would have carried uh, what we call toxic tar sands uh, or what the industry calls oil sands. And this is a, a type of extreme uh, extraction. Uh, first, what companies do is they um, chop down the boreal forest, which is a very important rainforest. It's the lungs, part of the lungs of our planet. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what companies do is they chop down, they deforest the boreal rainforest in Canada, and then they extract underneath um, these toxic tar sands, uh, which is not like conventional oil. Tar sands is very chunky, like peanut butter. Um, and when there are tar sands spills, which have happened in the U.S. and in Canada, uh, these tar sands will sink to the bottom of the lake. Uh, they're very heavy. Uh, it's a lot harder to clean up, whereas oil tends to rise uh, to the top of a water surface. Uh, tar sands is very, very chunky, very corrosive, um, and much more toxic than conventional uh, crude oil. And um, you know, in, in Boreal, in Alberta, Canada, uh, communities there, mostly indigenous communities are already facing the toxic effects of tar sands extraction. Um, there's high cases of cancer clusters, um, you know, it's terrible uh, water pollution and air pollution. Um, environmentalists, we call where this extraction for tar sands takes place, we call this area Mordor. Because uh, it looks pretty similar to the Mordor landscape in Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Um, very toxic open pits of polluted uh, tailings ponds, um, water that's used to extract tar sands. Um, it was once a beautiful rainforest. I see. Well, as I was uh, trying to educate myself about uh, this type of crude oil, I've been hearing the term bitumen. And apparently you've just said that bitumen or actually uh, the oil is corrosive and it could actually be explosive as well. So this is one of the chemical components of of bitumen. Is this one of the things that it does? Right. So um, another word for tar sands that geologists use is called bitumen. Um, And, you know, tar, tar sands or bitumen is highly corrosive. Um, there have been toxic tar sand spills um, uh, in the Kalamazoo River, uh, you know, in Missouri. Um, people have had to flee their homes uh, because of, of tar sand spills. Um, it's it's very toxic to anyone that comes near it. I see. So the uh, 
this process of extraction is actually very, uh, it's very dangerous to the environment, right? Right, it's what we call an extreme type of extraction. So extreme extractions include tar sands, it includes offshore drilling, like the BP oil disaster, mm -hmm. uh, fracking. These are methods that are you know, highly destructive to the earth, um, highly polluting, um, and takes extreme measures in order to extract these uh, fossil fuels. I see. Uh, I have a question for you regarding jobs. Every time this kind of project is mentioned, and the reason I say this is because I was just reading about the Alaskan pipeline project. And uh, one of the things that was raised there was, look, uh, if we go forward with this project, uh, this means that there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be employed. And the question that I have for you is this, will the pipeline create jobs? And is that one of the arguments being used to push this project forward to its completion? So the, the theory that this Keystone XL pipeline would have created numerous jobs has been debunked. Uh, it doesn't take very many people to operate a pipeline. Uh, and those construction jobs to build it are, are usually very temporary uh, and usually involves bringing in uh, out of state workers, not local people. Um, so these are temporary short-term jobs mm -hmm. um, and just a few uh, few people to operate the pipeline um, every few miles. I see, I see. So, so there's two kinds of categories of jobs that are created from what I understand. And one of these is called ancillary jobs. And ancillary jobs consist of service workers, consist of uh, surveyors, occupational health and safety professionals, so apparently these types of jobs also spring up to make it more significant or argumentative to prove that the assertion, the assertion that the pipeline would create lots of jobs. So this is what you mean by temporary jobs? Right, so temporary construction labor um, to build pipelines, uh, you know, companies import uh, workers. Uh, mm -hmm. They have them living in man camps, which are temporary housing. Yes. Um, and there's been a lot of evidence to show that where man camps are built, where they have these workers, there's spikes in violence, uh, drugs, um, you know, harassment to, to women, especially Native women. Uh, a lot of Indigenous women have actually gone missing where some of these temporary working housing uh, developments are. Mm -hmm. um, near the construction site of the Keystone XL pipeline, this has been reported along other pipeline construction sites, uh, terrible spikes in violence from man camps. And you know what we're supporting is a transition uh, to green jobs. Um, we want we don't want people to be put out of work. We want people to thrive and we want the resources we have now, uh, instead of investing in building more pipelines, we should invest in um, training uh, this workforce uh, into alternative uh, green jobs. And so, while we need a thriving ecosystem to survive, including the people in Alberta and these extractive methods are you know, clearly uh, toxic to communities uh, and aren't thinking about the long-term future uh, of what these communities need. And so we want an investment instead of, you know, in the extraction more fossil fuels into a renewable uh, economy uh, for these communities. I see, okay. Um, yes, I actually also heard about spinoff jobs. 
and it says that uh, some of these jobs uh, that will be needed is to refine, to chemically manufacture, to transport this crude oil. Um, again, will these jobs be that significant? Um, can you repeat the, 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 the question? Sure. Uh, I've mentioned ancillary jobs. And we talked about the kinds of jobs that are predicted to develop, right? And then we also hear about spin-off jobs. And apparently spin-off jobs is, uh, is a term that I've heard that is associated with the Alaskan pipeline. And apparently what these are, these are jobs that will be needed to refine, to chemically manufacture, to transport crude oil. Um, so you think these jobs that are mentioned, do you think this will have uh, you know, a, a, an impact um, you know, they're trying an impact as far as moving forward because all of these jobs will be created. Right. So, you know, these are workers that we want to support. Um, you know, we want to resource and support uh, and invest in them, learning a, a, an alternative mm -hmm. um, job market, uh, green jobs, sustainable jobs, jobs in the renewable energy sector wind, uh, solar, uh, and that's part of the just transition, uh, the Green New Deal that environmentalists and community members have been advocating for. Yes. Uh, it invests in workers like these uh, being trained up for, for other job markets. Mm -hmm. I see. To support that transition. Yeah, I understand. Um, I came across this other thing as well in regards to these projects. Uh, apparently, TransCanada um, has predicted that 118,000 spinoff jobs uh, predicts actually 118,000 spinoff jobs, but there was a study that was commissioned that predicts actually 250,000 jobs or maybe even 553,000 permanent jobs. But again, these predictions appear to be unreliable because this is depending on the idea that the pipeline will create uh, permanent stable oil prices, which will foster overall economic growth. So this sounds kind of crazy. It sounds crazy that uh, the assertion that uh, if you if you allow projects like this to happen in regards to crude oil, that somehow uh, this will uh, add to permanent stable oil price prices, and then this essentially will. Uh, result in thousands of jobs for people. So uh, the thing that I hear about this is that if we go, go back and look at the, uh, the Trans-Alaska Pipeline and many others, the same was said and the result that it was more fantasy than reality from what I understand. Um, well, you know, there's several things to consider. Um, one is that, you know, companies are already going to extreme lengths to try to extract oil yes. um, using extreme extraction methods that are proven to be toxic for people uh, living in communities nearby. Um, you know, so they, they talk about stable jobs, but what about stable communities um, that can thrive in flourishing ecosystems mm -hmm. um, that can live daily without, you know, the risk of, uh, you know, pollution into their water, into their air, um, without the risks of being exposed and being part of a cancer cluster. And then the writings on the wall for climate change. I mean, every year we, we experience more extreme 
weather, um, hurricanes, um, you know, erratic winters and summer weather. Um, you know, so they talk about, you know, stable oil prices, but what about a stable climate and a stable, um, you know, community mm-hmm. that doesn't have to face toxic pollution. Um, and, you know, frankly, I, I think that's that's a myth, um, you know, what these companies are, are claiming. Um, you know, what we need is investment now in, um, in a place, uh, in a type of energy, renewable energy, yeah. uh, in a job transition. I see. I see. Yeah. So, um, and, and, the, and I have another question, but I'm not sure if you read any studies or maybe your group has come across other studies, but apparently, do you think that this project will impact gas prices that essentially these, this project will lower, ga- lower gas projects? I mean, uh, gas prices? Um, for the most part, uh, Keystone XL oil is meant for um, export. It's for the company to profit uh, directly. Um, So it's about, you know, they would essentially sacrifice communities to build a pipeline to extract toxic tar sands oil so they can export the oil overseas and make a direct profit. Um, You know, it's not really directly benefiting, uh, you know, citizens of the U.S., residents of the U.S. Really? That's interesting, though, because uh, we all have this assumption that we need to sell this, we need to extract this oil um, because eventually uh, this comes back to us in some form of, uh, lower gas prices, um, et cetera, et cetera. But in reality, um, the companies, what they're doing is they want to extract it, but they want to sell it abroad. That's the, the entire reason for some of these pipelines to exist. Is that what, you, what you're saying? Yes. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. Uh, let me ask you about polls. I don't know if you follow the polls about these projects. Uh, do the polls show that a majority of the population are opposed to the pipeline? Um, are you talking about presidential polls or? Uh, you know what, just general um, polls about how people feel about uh, the Keystone XL pipeline. I am not really sure, have there been polls um, that involve the um, population? I haven't. Yeah, I'm not familiar with any specific polls, mm-hmm. but I know that there's tremendous local opposition in the communities uh, in Nebraska, uh, in Montana, in South Dakota, mm-hmm. in Kansas. I mean, um, there's significant opposition. Uh, there are a lot of landowners that are legally challenging uh, the construction of the pipeline. Um, local pressure is being put on state departments to reject um, any state permits for the pipeline. And that's why this pipeline has been halted for so many years. Um, this project was pers- first proposed over 10 years ago. Um, and there's, there's been tremendous opposition um, to prevent that pipeline from being green-lighted automatically and just to be built in the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, as an example, uh, in Texas, where unfortunately the southern part of the Keystone XL is, is already you know, in the ground and pumping toxic tar sands oil, mm-hmm. uh, there was tremendous opposition. There were protests. Um, there were landowners in Paris, Texas that hosted concerts to raise legal fees to try to yes. stop the pipeline. There were landowners who invited protesters on their on their property. Um, there was different types of direct action. People were literally chaining themselves to um, bulldozers and machinery to stop the pipeline from going into the ground. 
Um, and it's because of this opposition that this pipe, you know, wasn't put in the ground 11 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the example of, you know, if you could survey, I mean, yes, there's significant um, opposition throughout all of these states. I see. I see. Um, so I read about the, the pipeline actually spilling about 12 times during the course of its operation. Is, is 12 times a conservative number or has it spilled? Has there been more instances of oil spills than we are led to believe? So um, companies like to say, you know, if our pipeline spills, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. All pipelines will spill, all pipelines will leak. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so when communities say we can't drink oil, um, they're, I mean, they're being 100%, it's true. I mean, yeah. they would be forced to, you know, there's the threat of this, these pipelines leaking toxic oil into their drinking water. It will happen. Mm -hmm. um, all of these pipelines leak. And I, I mentioned that tar sands is extra corrosive. It's chunky. Mm -hmm. It's got a lot of sediment in it. Um, it's even more corrosive to pipelines than other types of fossil fuels. So, you know, people were saying this pipeline's going to leak, and sure enough, it did happen. And in fact, when the pipeline was first built through Texas, um, a few months later, they had to dig it up because there were so many anom anomalies in the construction of the pipeline. I see. I see. Okay. So there's, um, so there's sh shoddy workmanship uh, associated with the pipeline, especially in some places, probably, right? Uh, I, th there is, this is a misnomer to me. Uh, for some reason or another, I thought that the Obama administration had seized all kinds of support for the pipeline. And essentially what happened is that when the Trump administration started, uh, Trump was a proponent of the pipeline, and it, he made it a part of his uh, uh, political stumping to reboot or restart uh, the Keystone Pipeline uh, project. But this project was actually ongoing under the Obama administration as well? Yeah, so um, people, environmentalists, activists, we call the Keystone XL Pipeline the zombie pipeline mm -hmm. because it just come, kept coming back to life. Uh, people <laughs> kept trying to kill it uh, through, you know, in the courtrooms, through direct yes. actions and protests through stopping park permits, but it just mm -hmm. kept coming back. <laughs> and uh, under the Obama administration, um, you know, Obama halted construction of the northern part of the Keystone XL pipeline. So, I mean, pipeline companies are, you know, they're really tricky, they're really clever. Uh, TransCanada, when they first proposed the pipeline, they wanted to build it as just one long segment. Mm -hmm. When they saw there was tremendous opposition, they split it up into two projects. There was a northern leg of the Keystone XL pipeline yes. and a southern leg of the Keystone XL pipeline. Obama was okay with the southern leg of the Keystone XL pipeline being built through Oklahoma and Texas. And this was right around his reelection. Um, there's photos of Obama in a Keystone XL pipeline yard in Cushing, Oklahoma, uh, greenlighting the pipeline construction while he's having a press conference. Um, mm. And we speculate that it's because of, you know, re-election season. He saw that the South wasn't going to support uh, his election mm -hmm. or, you know, just because of um, the kind of political atmosphere in the South. And then he halted construction of the Northern part, part of the pipeline through Nebraska, through Montana. 
um, which is great, but it also means that the South got sold out once again. And I mentioned there was tremendous opposition um, in Texas, in parts of Oklahoma, there were protests, there were landowners that didn't want this thing to get built. And sure enough, unfortunately, you know, it was built. Yes. I see. I see. Well, that's interesting. There was a, there was some political motives uh, for the pipeline construction to occur in the southern leg, right? Right. Um, so the Keystone pipeline is already in the ground in Oklahoma and Texas. It's pumping toxic tar sands. Um, part of it is already being exported. You know, we're happy that the northern part was stopped by the Obama administration. It's a start. Mm-hmm. We don't want, you know, any part of this to be built. But, you know, there's a lot of significant back history um, that needs to be acknowledged when we're thinking, when we're celebrating this win mm-hmm. um and we need to keep you know pushing public pressure um to stop all of these pipelines from going forward so um it's very interesting that um since the start of the biden administration which commences uh, the 20th of january that the keystone pipeline would be one of those first measures of executive actions um uh, that would be uh that would be taking taken up by the Biden, by the Biden administration. Uh, Do you think that this is bonafide? Do you think that the Biden administration is going to seize uh, this project for whatever reasons? And if so, what do you think, what are the reasons for that? Um, You know, we're happy that the Biden administration is stopping, you know, whatever they can of the Keystone XL pipeline from Mm -hmm. going forward. This is definitely a victory um, you know, we're, we're hoping this means, um, stronger, stronger action from the federal government to stop these pipelines from going forward, mm-hmm. uh, to stop the fossil fuel industry from being greenlighted, um, you know, as much as it was during the Trump administration. Yes. So I saw the inauguration and, uh, one of the things that Joe Biden said, and he mentioned, uh, he actually mentioned scientists for, for, for one thing. Uh, maybe not in his uh, inauguration, but he did mention scientists uh, in one of his speeches. Uh, and But he also mentioned the Paris Accord, and uh, he mentioned uh, that he would listen to the scientists in regards to all of these things that mattered to our, you know, to our uh, daily life. Uh, but, uh, but do you think, uh, do you think that this is bona fide, you know, when, when he mentions the Paris Accord and fossil fuels, and the Keystone Pipeline, that all of this coincides with that? Um, I think so. I think right now he's doing, the bar is, the bar is low. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> he's doing, you know, the bare minimum. He's rejoining the Paris Agreement. He's stopping the Keystone XL. Um, we're going to keep pushing him to do more than that. We need to go, we need to do more mm-hmm. uh, besides just joining the Paris Agreement. Yes. Um, you know, we need to do more than just stopping the one uh, Keystone XL pipeline. Um, and we're going to put his, you know, we're going to pressure him every way we can. Uh, today, there was an executive order also saying that uh, the Biden administration was going to stop construction of the border wall. Um, here in the Rivani Valley, we're going to keep pressuring him to make sure that all construction is com- immediately halted. Um, we don't want to be, um, you know, overly optimistic. We're going to keep, uh, you know, pushing back mm-hmm. as much as we can. So uh, in regards to the Rio Grande Valley, there is a fragile ecosystem there. And I know there is um, uh, 
a lot of, well, actually there are refineries that are trying to uh, set foot uh, to a larger capacity. So how is that going down there? Yeah, so there are three proposed fracked gas um, LNG export mm -hmm. terminals. These are, they would process um, gas that's been fracked from West Texas. There's also a proposed oil refinery uh, or fracked oil um, from West Texas. Um, you know, these projects still need different permits. Um, they did, you need different authorizations. Yes. They're all trying to get overseas customers. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, we're going to push for Biden to put reinstate what's called um, an export ban. Uh, so for for decades, the U.S. had a ban on exporting crude oil overseas, unrefined crude oil. Mm -hmm. uh, and then during the Obama administration, that ban was lifted. Uh, and that means, right, we have like a ton of proposed projects now to export um, oil. So one of our biggest pushes um you know, here in the Gulf Coast, on, on all the coasts in the U.S., is to reinstate that ban uh, on crude um, exports and also on gas exports. I see. Well, uh, going back to the Keystone uh, XL pipeline, um, I just read very briefly that um, Trudeau from Canada uh, did not take President Biden's uh, executive order uh, to stop the, the Keystone Pipeline project. Uh, so right away, we're, we're probably going to see some kind of uh, uh, push and pull from Canada. Uh, how do you think Biden is going to address this? Um, you know, Biden should listen to his constituents, um, you know, you know, in our northern states that are fighting the Keystone XL pipeline. Um, he should, you know, continue to support, um, you know, what the Obama administration did mm -hmm. uh, to halt that pipeline. Um, and yeah, stand mm -hmm. up to Trudeau. Um, yeah. Trudeau has, you know, ignored indigenous people that are suffering from tar sands extraction. Um, he's, you know, standing behind a lot of different projects that have significant indigenous opposition in Canada. Oh. Um, and we need, um, you know, Biden to continue to, you know, to push back. I see. That. I see. Okay. Rebecca, thank you very much for coming to our show. Uh, we appreciate your, uh, your background, your knowledge, and we appreciate that you added to this conversation. Uh, once again, thank you for being here and available for us. Yeah, thank you, too. Uh, and we do have a website, uh, anothergulf.com, um, where oh. you can learn more about the Another Gulf is Possible Collaborative and the work that we do. Okay, sure. I'm going to go ahead and post that link for our, our listeners. Thank you for coming once again. Thank you.